As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet. I'm Sinead. And I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast exploring the lives of the great poisoners and poisoning cases from across the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the tales that we tell. And it's episode 13. It's a, I'm hoping we've got a very dramatic episode for episode 13. Okay. Better be a good one. Better be a good one. <laughs> well, it's my episode. Yeah, well, exactly. So a lot of pressure here. Yeah, we go. 13. Unlucky for some. Unlucky <laughs> for you. How are you, Nick? Um, yeah, all right. I've gone back to work, which is very bizarre. Ooh, you, you've left the house? I know, I've left the house. I'm an <gasps> outdoor, honestly. Tell me of the outside world. It's, it's an amazing place. There's so many shiny things. There are <laughs> a lot of people outside, and I, t- I talk to them. <laughs> it, was very, it was very exciting. Are these people you work with, or just people on the street that you run up oh, and, and just shout at from two metres? <laughs> but it's nice just to get out the house. Aww. I have a reason for getting out the house i'm not very good at a random wander well, no, see i'm i'm one for the for the for the ramble for the nice walk to take in the scenery breathe in the air listen to an audiobook punch a squirrel you know i think a lot of it has to do with that i'm just very lazy <laughs> <laughs> it could be it but it's a good week there are no no poisonings now you've returned to work no 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 all good so far i so there's only a few of us in so everyone just making people tea hello <laughs> uh before we proceed we have got another little promo to share with you we're trying to do more promos from other lovely podcasts and this week we have got a fabulous promo from the brilliant gang over at old timey crimey a podcast we really think you'll like have a listen i'm christy i'm scott and i'm amber and we are the hosts of old timey crimey a true crime historical podcast everything we talk about is from 1950 and before we talk about crimes you've heard about, like the Radium Girls and the Lindbergh Baby, and some ones maybe you haven't heard about, like Hans Schmidt and my crime victim doppelganger, O.C. Sneed. We find out stuff about old crimes that you may not know, 
And you know what? We're even going to maybe solve a mystery or two. Hasn't happened yet. It could, I, though. We don't know. I, I want that to happen. Like, that would be awesome. New episodes drop every Friday. And we're also currently releasing, uh, from behind the Patreon wall, our quarantine bonus mini episodes on Monday. So there is plenty to binge. Yay, coronavirus! <laughs> So come join us, talking about really old true crime. Because the good old days weren't that good. So, Nick, are you ready to drink cocktails and talk about poison? I quite fancy that at the moment, yeah. Or, or, or... Oh, there's a choice. Drink poison and talk about cocktails? <sighs> no, not today. No, not today. Better not risk it. Still fancying a cocktail. You always say that. I want to take a chance. Did you know, today is World Cocktail Day. <gasps> so we have to drink cocktails today. It's the law. We don't record this in the same day that it comes out, but screw it. But I don't care. <laughs> today, when I'm sitting here now recording it, it is World Cocktail Day. Um, and for those listening, you're two days late. Where were you on World Cocktail Day? Y- you've got two days. You've got to catch up. Where were you? <laughs> like you saying, like, where were you on World Cocktail Day? <laughs> I think they were alive, hopefully. <laughs> They were just, not that they were shunning it. There were loads of people protesting, no cocktails on Wednesdays. How dare they do such a thing? Well, whenever you are listening to this, make it your own personal World Cocktail Every Day. Every day is World Cocktail Day. Every day is Cocktail Day. <laughs> but just go on a trip around the world with your cocktails. Put a, put a liqueur from a different country into a glass. Oh, I like that challenge. <laughs> I'm saying it, kind of going, that's madness, but it's... It's genius. It's genius. We could travel through Europe. We could have some gin in the UK. Then we go to France. We could have some chartreuse if we go to France. We like Uh, that. What do we have to... You can have your Benedictine. I don't want that either. Oh, no, it's the Frangelico you got, wasn't it? Frangelico, yes, Frangelico. That's that's French. Hazelnut liqueur, delicious. So, yep, so we can have some French cures. Uh, From Germany, some... uh... Jägermeister. Oh, Jägermeister. Jägermeister cocktails. Jägermeister cocktails are nice. Uh, Italy, oh, lots of things. Limoncello. Uh, limoncello. That's a good one. Or uh, a nice um, amaretto. Yeah. Mm, yes, yes. Spain. What's Spain? Is there a is there a particular liqueur that Spain is? I'm sure there is. I just cannot think of it off the top of my head. No, there there must be. I mean, there's probably must people be. screaming right now, going that one. I don't know vodka. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we should do that one day. We'll travel across the world in cocktails. Okay, but all of those in one glass. No, no, in one glass. I'm thinking many different cocktails. Oh, many different cocktails. Well, we just, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. We... Not, not just everything in one glass. That way madness <laughs> lies. That was what I was thinking we were doing. <laughs> that's that's why that... you're the mixologist and I'm the person. We're going to have a progression of lovely cocktails from different places and around the world. And we do them, we drink them or make them in order in which you would travel from where we are in the UK through Europe to a final destination. Yeah. To, to somewhere else. Like when they used to take the Orient Express from London to Istanbul. That is what we shall do in cocktail form. Yes, I like this plan. This is a brilliant plan. Right, stop the podcast. Let's get <laughs> so anyway, we are ready to drink cocktails and talk about poison. It is my story this week. Woohoo! Mm. Yes, don't sound too excited. Which mm. means I oh, get yeah. to choose the secret ingredient, as was revealed on social yes. media this week. Yes, yes, you And did. the secret ingredient is... It's love. See, <laughs> no, this is a bad, 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 bad thing. <laughs> okay. See, I once came up with an abstract <laughs> ingredient. I'm not going to let this go. 
and you've done it every bloody week since. No one complains about that, do they? No, not at all. You have complained about it every week. You've yeah, never let else. me live down that I complained about Sicily and now anything I brought up, even if it's a legitimate ingredient, you still yell at me. If it's a legitimate ingredient, I'm fine with it. Off, off air, he yells at me. <laughs> well, I do, that. I do that all the time you anyway. do that so. anyway. I'm sorry, yes, I, I admit that, you know, every now and then we have to mix it up with the secret ingredients, otherwise we'd have the same sort of thing it would get boring this week it is a brilliant story but ingredients wise you will find out in the story why this was difficult but love i couldn't resist it because a isn't love the greatest poison of them all it's the greatest poison of them all but also (laughs) it's just part of a simpsons reference that i couldn't get out of my head the secret ingredient is love who's been screwing with this so yes as is my want anything that i can link to the simpsons so i apologize nick but but you did not complain massively on text when i told you this it makes me think that you have something amazing planned well i have something planned if it's amazing or not we'll find out with the secret ingredient of love what did you come up with cocktail wise well it's it's a difficult ingredient to get in so i had to go with a (laughs) love inspired cocktail fair enough which made me or very nearly made me vomit as i was googling it Um, (laughs) so we have a loved up cocktail this week it's called it's called loved up loved up Ooh, okay okay I've never heard of that. It's, no, neither right. Neither right. Sounds a bit cringe, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's making me cringe. <laughs> loved up. Oh, oh, it's sort of teenagery. Up. But, 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 I'm, I'm all about the new ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you really seem like it. I am. I'm excited. <laughs> so a loved up cocktail. Well, Nick has sent me the ingredients because we are in isolation. We are going to go to our isolation kitchens and shake up a storm. See you in a minute. And we're back. Hello. So ooh, we have our loved up cocktail. Loved up. <laughs> makes me laugh so lovely oh pretty pretty looking cocktail it's an interesting colour isn't it it's sort of like a peachy sort of it is colour. and I am all about this list of ingredients talk us through it Nick well there's quite a lot in there <laughs> yeah so we've got tequila yes. is the base so we've got one and a half parts of tequila mm-hmm. then we've got half part of triple sec mm. which is an orange liqueur delicious half part of chambord yes which is not one that I've used before on the well, in this podcast, which is very nice, which is very fruity. Then we have half a pot of lime juice, a shot of orange juice, mm. and some sugar syrup. Mm. So quite a combination of different different things. Yes, I am all about Shamble. It is. Love Shamble. Shamble is a black raspberry liqueur. Mm. Uh, if you've never tried it, it's incredibly reasonable. In the UK, certainly you can get it in most supermarkets. Surprisingly cheap. Very cheap. And it is amazing. You can use it in pretty much anything. Add it to a bit of gin. Add it to Prosecco. Oh, I do it. Prosecco is lovely. Oh, Prosecco or, or, or Champagne to have a Kia Royale. It is amazing in sparkling wine. Great in gin cocktail. It is just Gorgeous. And the bottle looks like the holy hand grenade from Monty Python. Fantastic <laughs> bottle. With a pretend ruby gem in the, in, the, in the top. It's so tacky, but it's brilliant. Pretty much looks like... What is the name of the thing that the, the royalty hold? Like, a, like an orb. The yeah. orb. The orb, rather than the scepter. And it's named after uh, the most beautiful chateau in the Loire Valley in France, which I've been to many times, and it's very nice. But yes, so we've poured it out. Time for a taste. So let's yes, all dive indeed. into this yeah, loved yeah. up cocktail, where the secret ingredient is indeed love. Love. Ooh, ha, ha. That's quite yeah. awesome. Ooh. Oh, it's strong. 
It's got a kick to it. That is very pleasant. It's really nice. That is really oh, that I don't is think nice. It's that strong. Uh, maybe it's me. For you. <laughs> Caveat, guys. This is the first drink I've had in three days. It's lockdown. Trying to give the liver a vague. The longest Sinead has gone without a drink since she was thirteen. Three days for me is like three weeks in Sinead years. So yeah, she'll be asleep by the end of the podcast. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my story. So good luck with this. But that is it's lovely. Really nice. That is nice. Full disclosure: I didn't add the sugar syrup. Oh, I did. Now I think it really worked. Does it work? Because mm. I was very low on sugar syrup and also i don't love overly sweet it's cocktails. really not overly sweet but it's really really good because with all the stuff in there you'd think it would be I'm gonna go for a second sip i think the sort of tartness of the the lime juice and the tequila mm. sort of cut through the sh- the sugariness of any orange or chambord in there i'm i'm making that again that's damn good that is a great friday that is an anytime so drink. it's an excellent breakfast drink <laughs> got your fruit juice in there it is exactly. it's got orange juice in it what more do you want five a day mate five a day i mean the recommended garnish of this was a selection of seasonal fruits <laughs> um a selection what in the glass well like um like a raspberry and a blackcurrant or something on a little stick they're quite wee i think that would look quite cool but i didn't have like raspberries that would look quite cute house. that would look quite nice it is positively healthy it's a great drink as i said i think i think this is a step up from a cosmopolitan personally i don't know cosmopolitans have their place I do feel yeah as we've discussed before i feel that they are they're not as good as people crack them up to be but this you've never had a good one well i've had one of these and i like it i know what i likes <laughs> as a person with a very deep voice i'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell b2b and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell b2b either That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So resounding success for the Love Duck yes, cocktail. Hurrah. Now we have our cocktails very firmly in hand. Shall we have a story, Nick? Better be a good story to go along with this cocktail. Good. I'm glad you're in such a good mood and so warm and open to my tales. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so we've been, in the last few weeks, we were back in Renaissance times last week. We were mixing things up with Victorians before that. Uh, we were back in ancient Rome. We've been all over the place, time-wise, wise, time-wise, wise. Time-wise, wise. <laughs> it's not a phrase. Now we are heading to the 1930s. Ooh. Ooh. Anticlimax there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 1930s. 
Oh, that's very nice. Oh, no. We're heading to Depression-era Philadelphia. Uh... Oh, this is going to be fun. Yes, the 30s, a time of great... Oh, shit. It's... <laughs> no, Nick, no, Nick, trust me, because come with me for a story of poison, honestly, deception, Ooh. black magic. Ooh, that's exciting. I like that idea. Black widows. Spiders? No, ah. ladies. Fraud? Oh, that's... Yeah. Murder and sandbags. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, doesn't need a good sandbag in their tail. Who doesn't need a good sandbagging? Yes, Nick, this week we are discussing the case of the Philadelphia Poison Ring. So you say that very dramatically, but I've never heard of it. It's incredible. It's a brilliant story, also known as the Great Arsenic Murder Ring. Nice. I'm, I'm intrigued if our listeners in America... If it's a well-known tale in the States. Please do let us know if this is one that you've heard of. Mm, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. And this is a story with names like uh, Louis the Rabbi. (laughs) Rose of Death. Rose of Death. Rose of Death. Oh, Rose of Death. The Philadelphia Witch. Nice. And this is a case that officially they put it between 30 and 70 lives. But it could have been responsible for hundreds of deaths. Still quite a variation, officially. Between 30 and 70. A total of 30 people were tried for crimes perpetrated by this crime ring. But it all centres on two Italian immigrants. Herman and Paul Petrillo. Herman and Paul, very Italian names. Herman, okay, um, listeners, honestly, correct me if I'm wrong. Herman, I'm going to say Herman in Italy. I think think there is a different pronunciation, but Herman and Paul, Paul's very Italian. Yes, I suppose so. Yeah, it's a saint's name, mate. All right. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I am going to say Herman in this one uh, because I don't want to get it wrong. I'm sorry, sorry, I'm trying to interrupt. I just Googled it. Armando. Armando. Is, is the it? Italian, yeah, also says Wikipedia. Oh, Armando. Okay. So, is the Italian version. I mean, in all the writings that I found about it, he's called Herman. Well, I'm going to call him Herman because yep. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sorry to him because uh, for reasons that you'll find out. But yeah, I'm going to call him Herman because that's uh, that's the final piece of justice. He will forever be known as Herman rather than Armando. <laughs> Was he a monster? Uh, yes. Excellent. We're going to uh, 1910 Philadelphia. Harp music, imagine that, going back, back in time, back in time. <laughs> wavy, wavy lines, wavy lines. Wavy lines, wavy lines. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, home of the first US library, uh, the first hospital, the first zoo, place where the, the Declaration of Independence was signed, where where the history is. Uh, that's all I know <laughs> about Philadelphia. <laughs> it was the first capital, wasn't it? Sure. First, first capital state. So Philadelphia in 1910, soon to be the home of cousins Herman and Paul Petrillo. These chaps were born in the Campania region of Italy. They emigrated to the USA in the early 1900s. They settled in Philadelphia. Huge, huge, huge numbers of immigrants are emigrating to, well, they're coming over to the USA, predominantly Italian and Irish as well, settling in different cities. Northeast America is very popular at this time for these travelling families. In Philadelphia alone, I think between 1910 and 1930, the immigration population um, of Italians doubled from something like 70,000 to 150,000. You've got huge communities of Italians, of Italian immigrants coming over, raising, you know, of all generations, raising their children, dedicated neighbourhoods for this, everyone mixing with their own kind, as it were. <laughs> well, I, Mix with your own kind. It's not, it's not, <laughs> they would have community, well, obviously in immigrant communities, they, they set up little Italy, little China because they can't speak English and they want to then hang out with other people that they can speak the language. Their own kind. Shall I cut this? <laughs> <laughs> 
So lots of lovely Italian, soon to be Italian American communities. Lots of ice cream. Now these two cousins. Lots of lots of gelato and things. Okay, right. So I'm going to be yelled at for saying mixing with their own kind. You're just going to go straight to the Italian stereotypes, are you? Could have gone with like spaghetti or pasta or something. I mean, I don't know where so you're So desperately insensitive of me. These two cousins, not a huge amount is known about their family lives or their home life anywhere before um, Philadelphia, but we do know about their early careers. Because when they arrived in America, they would have arrived probably as children, teenagers. Um, but into the 10s and the 20s, it's a land of opportunity and prosperity. Money is to be made. And Paul starts a very successful business as a tailor. You know what his, uh, his business was called? Paul's tailor. Paul Petrillo, custom tailor to the classy dresses. <laughs> Excellent. That is a brilliant name. <laughs> he just states it very clearly. Classy dresses only. Classy dresses only. None of you general working class hoi polloi here. No hats for you. Yes, very good uh, business he set up. Um, it's quite successful. Herman uh, has a few other strings to his bow. Um, starts out as a barber. Then he branches into sales. Uh, what do you think he sold, Nick? Barbering equipment. No. I don't know. Ice cream. No. I don't know. Spaghetti. <laughs> how dare you have a go at me <laughs> and and olive oil do what you know do what you love there's all the italian stereotypes in there. the the secret ingredient this week was this close to being spaghetti for that pure yeah reasons. that would have been tricky well i just thought that was cruel i thought how 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 can you do anything with spaghetti unless you like a yeah. marinara sauce and a bloody mary or wheat <laughs> So there he is. He's selling spaghetti in the street, flinging spaghetti at people. There we go. Um, drizzling olive oil on uh, babies' faces. On passers-by. On passers-by, of course. I don't know how good he is as a salesman, but we do know, as was later known, he was very adept at uh, fraud. <laughs> and also, it's... arson. Right. Handy things to be adept at, this I'm sure. This is recorded... With no evidence that I have found yet of what arson he committed, but he was known as an arsonist. I just don't think he was very good at selling spaghetti or olive oil, but he was certainly... Well, spaghetti was on fire. Running through the streets. Running through the streets, a burning bushel of spaghetti. Or yes, it's not sort of a long-term <laughs> business plan, isn't it? Look at my fiery spaghetti. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> No, whatever his uh, his day job was, he was much more adept at criminal side of uh, his profession. So both brothers are kind of ticking over. They've got their, their professions, as it were. But then, of course, 1929, what happens? The start of the Great Depression. Depression yes, the, the stock market crashed. No one wants classy clothes anymore. Or spaghetti. <laughs> or spaghetti. No <laughs> one's eating spaghetti anymore. Dust for dinner for all. <laughs> with rocks as your sauce. Rags. <laughs> Businesses big and small across the country and, and the wider world are completely decimated by the Great Depression. I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of the Great Depression here because I'm not a financial expert and it's no. boring. But suffice it to say, industries collapse. People cannot get work. They cannot be paid. They are absolutely in dire straits, including Paul Petrillo. His tailoring business is is has gone down the drain, really. As you said, nobody wants a fancy clothes, you know, to go and stand in line to get free yeah, soup. Soup handout. From the soup kitchen. And soup handouts? That's not a thing. 
<laughs> go to the bank. Just, it's your soup. Or they're personally just cupping their hands together. Go, can I have some soup, please? <laughs> soup straight in the hands. <laughs> okay, it's not Oliver Twist. They're walking around with soup in their hands in the street going, well, I've got my soup. There's not much else I can do. I can't go to work because I have to protect the soup. <laughs> could eat the soup. Don't have to carry it around all day. It's going to increase in value. <laughs> it probably would. People who've eaten their soup first. You're going, oh, I, kept, I kept my soup from earlier. You go, what, it cost you £500. <laughs> Um, shockingly, this was not a trade that the Petrillo cousins got into of trading soup by hand. Where there is a crisis, some people see an opportunity. And Paul Petrillo decides that there's plenty of other ways to make money in the city. Well, he's been speaking to his cousin and he applies a little creativity. He decides to switch his profession to dabble in two areas, one of which is insurance. Now think about it, there's a lot of uncertainty out there, people are losing their jobs, their livelihood, and at the time, getting an insurance policy, a life insurance policy, is not difficult. A relatively low-value life insurance policy does not require a medical examination. If the uh, men out there are quite depressed about losing their jobs and their livelihoods, well, the wives are going to start thinking about, you know, hmm, does he have life insurance in case he tops himself or in case anything happens? So Paul starts to sell cheap life insurance policies to sickly men or their families out the back of his tailor shop. But he just makes sure, makes sure to list himself as one of the relatives. Oh, as a beneficiary. As a beneficiary. So the payout would come to him. But of course insurance fraud only really pays out if the victim dies and this is where herman and paul begin to work together thinking okay well we've sold some insurance policies to some sickly men hopefully they'll toddle off soon oh you know what it's taking too long question okay question for you so they're selling the insurance policies hoping that these people will die but then surely they're the ones who've got to pay out on these insurance policies if they do die. I think what they do is that they act as brokers ah, in right, some okay. cases. In all the research that I looked at for this case, the details were scammed. <laughs> so I think as it starts off, there seems to be a period where they act as brokers. Okay, that makes sense. You know, or they, they charge people for their services. Gotcha. But certainly it then moves on to, actually, there are big insurance firms around. Let's make sure that we become the beneficiaries of this. Gotcha. So Herman and Paul start to work together. Herman has had dealings with the underworld for quite a while so he has no qualms about working with his cousin to ensure that some insurance policies are put on sickly men's lives maybe those men need to meet their makers a little early as herman would call it as the cousins would call it send them to california <laughs> is their slang for nice. <laughs> now anyone who has watched a film <laughs> from the 40s will know the phrase i'm about to say double indemnity yes yes that means that if you die of a violent death or a particularly strange death or something quite out of the ordinary the insurance clause pays out double maybe triple it pays out a lot more if that person unfortunately dies by these unfortunate means so the two cousins are working on the basis that hmm if we have insurance clauses out on people well, we need to make sure that they meet an untimely end. Now, there's some reports that say at this stage, they take out a couple of insurance policies on sickly men and they arrange for these people to die. Two victims are said to be bashed over the head and drowned on fishing <laughs> trips. Yep, that'll do it. Another one is run over repeatedly with a car. You'd have thought just the ones would do it. I don't, I don't see how that's an accidental that's death. True, that's you're, really just ramming it home. you're over someone to make sure they're dead, that's not overly accidental, is it? <laughs> this is a slightly murky area in 
in their history because again the the reports of this sort of time differ about how they start getting into insurance fraud but one thing is very clear the next steps is that Paul Petrillo had another interest he had an interest in what is known as la fattura which I hope I'm saying right a type of folk magic black magic in some people's book that is incredibly popular among the Italian immigrant community. This is a very Catholic country, but a lot of the immigrants in Italy, they believe in black magic. They believe in the evil eye. They believe in needing protection spells. Going to see the equivalents, I suppose, of psychics or um, palm readers or people who can give them potions or charms or spells to protect them. This is a business for the cousins. Essentially, if you can start your own consultancy, think about the weird witchy shop you can picture on a high street and the woman who does psychic readings or palm readings and charges mm. you an awful lot to tell you your fortune. This was big business. Oh, sure. Particularly in this community, people would pay a huge amount of money to come and see them. Well, lots of people would pay over time. So you would come to these places and you would speak to spiritualists or witches to protect yourselves or to influence others. Even in the Great Depression, particularly women, they wanted this spiritual guidance and they wanted access to potions and charms. Around this time, Paul Petrillo had made the acquaintance of a man named Dr. Morris Bulber, also known as Louis the Rabbi. <laughs> That's a brilliant name. It's Louis the Rabbi. It's great. I don't know where Louis comes from. I don't know where Louis comes from. It's probably it's a thing. It's a thing. Just, just believe me, it. it's more a thing. Now, Bulber was originally from Russia and he was said to, for many, many years, have an absolute fascination and training in magic spells making whatever you want to call it he trained in it he moved to he emigrated to america first to new york where he opened owned a grocery store in new york but the great depression killed off his business so he moves to philadelphia he is a doctor of some description what his training is we do <laughs> not know but he's known as louis the rabbi because he also prepares boys for bar mitzvahs right. so he's not actually a rabbi who knows? I don't know. who knows i don't think he is but he also is handing out flyers advertising his skills as a faith healer yeah so he's not a rabbi then <laughs> let, let, let's, let's just take it as shady as fuck <laughs> yep, that sounds i do not think he's a real rabbi at <laughs> or all. a doctor but probably to be honest probably not a doctor <laughs> louis the rabbi that's probably why that's his nickname louis the rabbi it's probably people going he thinks he's a rabbi <laughs> let's just play along with it <laughs> it's easier he's scary this chap knows his stuff about magic and spiritualism, or at least being able to sell it to people. <laughs> yeah. So Paul thinks, aha, Herman's in the background as well, aha. They open their consultancy in 1931 to the sad, lonely Italian women of their community, offering readings, spells, and one thing in particular they're interested in, Love potions. <laughs> da! Oh, I see where you got that from then. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, what they found, there were a lot of women who were coming to this consultancy who were unhappy with their miserable or cruel husbands. Let's think about this bigger picture, the Great Depression. The men who were predominantly working at the time have lost their jobs. They've lost their livelihood. They cannot get work. All these people have moved to America to provide a better future for their families, and they have no chance of doing so. It is the Great Depression for a reason. People are miserable. And so probably more than ever, these women are going to their spiritualists and saying, please, please help me. My husband is, is not happy. Or can I do something? Or what, what can I do to, to change his mind, to change his ways? And they are offered a simple love potion. 
that might help to cure their husbands. If they were good men, the love potion would change their ways, but if he was a bad man, but, and this was always the warning that came with it, the potion might kill him. Oh, Christ. Nice clause in there, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good caveat there. Because the women would always be encouraged, you know, make sure that your husband has uh, an insurance policy. Perhaps <laughs> we can help with that. Here's the potion to give him, you know, because the potion... Did it have a big skull and crossbones on the bottle? <laughs> <laughs> yep, the love potions were laced with arsenic. Oh, what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> now, love potions traditionally, as a, as a slight aside here, do you know in, in, in traditional folklore, love love potions are very much a thing in witchcraft, in wicca, in, in in darker magic oh yes less of the arsenic though. less of the arsenic but do you know yeah. what normally Not traditional in dream what, what, what would traditionally go into a love potion oh are there are many unpleasant things <laughs> bodily fluids I think is a big one <laughs> oh yes the uh, um, the menstrual blood that's the one I was going for yeah <laughs> I love how you just didn't say but I it. was being, being polite going bodily fluids <laughs> bodily fluids well yes. all the bodily fluids might go into it you know? oh yeah I think I've got a great variety Pubic hair? Yeah, yeah. Always have A few snips of those? Both of those things. If you're trying to make someone, you over there who lives in this other village, I love you. (laughs) But you don't love me. I want to make you lovely. How do you then get that person's pubic hair? No, no, you put your own pubic hair in it. Oh, right. Not from your your desired love. I think if you're at the stage of where you can clip off bits of their pubic hair, well, that's you have thinking. their attention. No, it's your own pubic hair you put in it. Oh, I, I, sorry. Come I, on, this is Love Potion 101. My, my apologies for my lack of Love Potion knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> While you were saying that, I swear to God, I was motioning snipping my own pubic hair. I don't know why. <laughs> you can't even see me. No one can see me. No one needed to know. No one needed, no one needed, no, to, no one needed to see that at all. I'm wearing trousers, everyone. Please trust me. I'm motioning outside of my jeans. Oh, <laughs> moving God. on. Moving on. Anyway, yes. yes but okay. yes, no, you would. You, you, you give them your own bodily fluid and then you slip it into their drink or their food in, in traditional kind of like right. witchcrafty, weirdy stuff. And then they ingest a piece of yule. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, you'd have sense. mandrake root, human skin. Nice. Worms. Uh, communion wafers sometimes is put in. The host. Is the body of Christ? Is the body of Christ? Fall in love with him too. Find Jesus. Uh, various hallucinogens as well. Uh, so handy, trip. handy. So you'd fall things. in love with anyone. <laughs> you're just eating pubic hair and going, "This is great." Like, oh, it's a, it's. A, thank you for this lovely drink. It's it's a bit furry. Ah, <laughs> um. uh, touch of the minge. There we go. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, nah. Right, no more cocktails for tonight, I feel. Well, no more love potions for you. That's why your love potions haven't worked, Nick. You're trying to snip off the pubic hair of people that you fancy. And then go, get off! Know where I've been going wrong now. (laughs) That's homework for you. (laughs) But all pubic hair and menstrual blood aside, these particular (laughs) poisonous uh, love potions, you'd think these potions would cost upwards of $300 a piece Christ. and that is in today's money about five thousand pounds five thousand dollars who the hell has that sort of money it, apparently apparently it was enough you know it's not we're not talking about like scores of women doing it but i think at least 12 people 12 women came and paid for these um potions and certainly dispatched their husbands i mean by giving them this love potion they may not have known what they were doing they may have blindly been thinking this was a lovely love potion awful lot of money to pay you, you take desperate measures for love love is the greatest poison of them all so they sell them the love potions they make sure they also sell them a life insurance policy amid all of these consultations and this little dance that they have it's also said that if the women turned up and were resistant 
to the idea of um, taking out a life insurance policy and then <laughs> handing their husband a love potion. They're going, this seems a bit suspicious. The the brothers or Bulba, uh, Louis the rabbi, would uh, simply seduce the woman to, to win her confidence. Oh, right, yeah, that'll do the trick. <laughs> yeah. Just stand up and do a sensual dance in front of her. <laughs> la, 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 so this, this, la, la. This, this woman is here to get a love potion to get her, her own husband to be more affectionate or more caring. Mm. And these people then think that they are going to be able to seduce this woman who obviously is obviously deeply caring for her husband and wants to... That, that, that's, that's, that makes no sense. I mean, I think if they just go in, they think their own sexual prowess will just tempt the women over. You know, we're probably crediting the women with more intelligence. I mean, if they're walking in there with $300 to spend on a love potion. This is, this is true. And also maybe the women are deeply... They are probably deeply upset, distressed. They're not in there not having a good time. And if, you know, let maybe let's credit them other than them standing up and doing a sexy dance, rubbing their nipples in front of... <laughs> them thinking that will seduce them i mean who wouldn't who wouldn't but if these are the few women who wouldn't be turned on by that it's probably them sitting and going oh i understand you don't worry you know and like probably just being all flattering and lovely and suddenly they fall for these lovely successful men and then convince them "Mm, yes maybe you know maybe the husband isn't good enough for you you know you should probably dispatch him and if you had the life insurance policy that would be money for you and your children and everything would be sorted but of course they sort out the life insurance policy and the money goes to the boys so yeah Sexy dance, sexy dances. Sexy dances do so much. Maybe uh, Herman was in in the background just waving some lit spaghetti. It's kind of like an incense. <laughs> spaghetti dance. Spaghetti dance. <laughs> that famous, famous central Italian spaghetti dance. <laughs> oh, it's known. It's known. It's, it's, it's a thing it's... only if you're Italian do you know the secret of the spaghetti dance. <laughs> only very lucky Italian women have uh, ever seen this. <laughs> spaghetti seduction. It's a classic. But yeah, we, we joke about this. This did work. There is one reported case where, where Paul managed to seduce one of the women who came to them convinced her to take out a life insurance policy on her sickly husband for ten thousand dollars ten thousand dollars payout would be shared between him her and bulba who was helping at the time i mean so these women knew what was happening there is a chance that some women didn't they were there blithely going i want to protect my family and protect my husband and maybe give him something that will make him less depressed or bring him and luck. yes, of course, I'll sign your paper. There's also reports that Herman is a very good actor. Now, this is one report that I read that Herman is, is well, whether he's a good actor. Actor, dancer. My actor, God. dancer, spaghetti man. Um, <laughs> he should be on Broadway. <laughs> but he acts as the husband. He dresses up or pretends to be the husband, oh, goes into the insurance company. So I'm dead now. Could I have some insurance? <laughs> exactly. Well, beforehand, he makes sure that the insurance policy is taken out. Or some of the women come in and they're so pissed off at their husbands, they're secretly told in a nice uh, nice way, maybe you could dispatch your husband. A, a few people are buying into this. You know, the guys think that this is uh, a, a good business to carry on with. So they decide to start expanding their plot. You know, right. they've, they've, they've had success with a few women. They probably think, you know, there's probably more women out there who would trust uh, not dealing with men. Maybe they want to deal with women or maybe there's husbands mm. out there who want to deal with stuff. While this is going on, there's still reports that they're carrying out the odd violent death they they've got insurance policies out on some people and they want to ensure bigger you know insurance payouts the arsenic deaths will will show a a violent death Um, in some instances they're still just going for now we need to make doubly sure that we can get double indemnity there were a couple of reports where bulba in particular louis the rabbi liked to hit people on the head with sandbags 
that's not that's not an easy weapon to wield. That how he did it, I don't know. I I'm assuming that it is literally a stage like kind of farce where they were dropped on the head because <laughs> then it would induce a hemorrhage, so it would look like a natural death. It's a sandbag that's not going to leave abrasions. There's going to be a massive blunt force, and you'd have a cerebral hemorrhage, and then you die. It's a violent death in a way. In a way, cunning. In a way, mm. well, exactly. But so there you go, sandbags. If you're trying to fucking wield one in the street, that is not yeah, easy. It's, it's not an easy one to lift up and then go. <laughs> you get one hit. And you're like, hang on, someone hang with. on. <sighs> okay. Or did they say, meet me at this place? And there's a big X on the floor, <laughs> and, and a man up on some scaffolding. <laughs> meet me in this theatre. <laughs> The Phantom, the Phantom. Oh, I'm dead. Um, there's an so. even better account where um, there's a roofer called Lorenzo who had to die. Uh, what he did, what he did wrong. This poor roofer. Bad roofer. They found him on the roof. They handed him a stack of French postcards to distract him. <laughs> it's a nudie sort of postcard there. <laughs> and while he gets some garlic, <laughs> or just uh, women with onions around their neck on a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, for the strappy top. You took a beret off. (laughs) So they hand him a stack of French postcards and then push him off the roof. (laughs) Just throw him off the building. But then the idea is that he would land and have the postcards in his hand. And then when people were investigating, in inverted commas, they go, oh, so he was clearly looking at those nudie postcards and fell off the roof. In shock. (laughs) In shock. At the, at the at the lady bits and go, ah! at the and lady bits and all the berets they were too fabulous <laughs> so yeah, apparently that happened that's brilliant that's an here's excellent. a porn bag shove there we are. apparently no one questioned this it's great who would <laughs> but as I said the line in the poisonous potions was working very well so they expanded their operation to include more people in the poisoning ring including faith healer and black widow Karina Favato. Karina, in some places she's called Maria. Again, this shows you kind of the records are all over the place with this story. This took a lot of work. But she is already suspected, well, not suspected by the, the authorities, but the legend has it that she has already done away with her husband and his brother, possibly other lovers as well, and will later go on to directly kill another man that she'd taken a fancy to all by poisoning them. She herself has been able to claim insurance from the death of her husband. But she is brought in by the Petrillo cousins and Bulba, and she's very impressed by the way they are making insurance fraud work in their favour by killing everyone. <laughs> so she is hired and works in the Black Magic Ring as a marriage consultant, offering guidance to men and women about how to deal with difficult husbands, i.e. kill them! With... Mainly poison, mainly poison. They bring in other witches who could give guidance to these people they they quite they amassed quite a few people on their payroll as it were where life insurance policies were possible in the cases of the people who came to visit them and they sussed them out poisons were handed out laced with arsenic or antimony and these poisonings continue these insurance claims and these poisonings reportedly continue from 1932 to 1938 bloody hell six years six years that's a long old time the reports are anywhere between 30 and 70 some say it's 50 but who knows how many died at their hands yeah they're using such a wide variety of methods and the, they're running people over with repeatedly with cars they're, they're dropping sandbags on people poisoning people so yeah they've got quite a, a selection of, um, yeah, of methods for, for them to choose from this is why I'm <laughs> sort of flabbergasted this case isn't more well known and the more research <laughs> i did into it 
the stories again I there's a limit to how much I can do in the time that we have and maybe there are amazing books and resources out there and if people have read them please share them but really in all of the writing even for the 1930s I was surprised that the mm. the accounts and the dates were quite vague in some place all those stories really differ maybe it's because this is an immigrant community in the Great Depression there's going to be a load of things that aren't reported um, there's going to be all sorts of things going wrong and people doing shady business how much of it is investigated in those six years i don't know or Mm. is it folklore or is this all been spun there's a couple of cases and maybe it's all been spun out pause for a moment what do you think i think there probably is an element of a sort of a legend that's grown up around it and has been exaggerated over over time i think that happens with a lot of things and also you gotta admit i suppose it would be an incredibly close-knit community um, so they wouldn't be going to the to the police and stuff like that if something weird did happen. They would probably be something that they'd want to deal with mm. within their community. Regardless, all terrible things must come to an end. Now, you see, Herman's exploits had not gone entirely unnoticed by the authorities, but not so much the killing side, bizarrely. More the, the sexy dancing side. The sexy dancing side. I mean, everyone took notice of that. Classes were taught, <laughs> but could never be replicated, the sheer passion that he put into it. No, it was more his ability to make counterfeit money. Oh, where's this couple? This is a new, a new string to his bow. Well, it, it actually had been something he'd started years before. He had made contacts with people. He had made a couple of acquaintances who were brilliant and were really, really good at counterfeit money. And at the time, you know, if you, if you got into that racket, it's like, great, okay, I will pay a certain amount of money to get some counterfeit notes and then I can sell them on for a small price to trusted contacts but then you could just use them and he was quite adept at running this sort of scheme and it hadn't gone unnoticed by the authorities but what happened next was that a gentleman called George Mayer an ex-con who had dreams of going straight and starting his own upholstery cleaning business (laughs) it is the dream of many (laughs) (laughs) that unattainable dream is just out of reach I need to clean sofas. His time inside had either made him dream big or really narrowed down his option. <laughs> it, is, it is quite a specific focus. And it wasn't the 60s where people just put plastic on their sofas thinking that was a good look. But upholstery cleaning business, that was the way. Nice. He But he needed a loan to get going. A mere $25. And he came... That for the buckets. <laughs> I need two buckets and a sponge. <laughs> and two buckets of sponge and a dream. <laughs> You need one dollar for the buckets and twenty-four dollars for the marketing. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> for the really expensive radio ad he was going to get in the thirties. Have you want all your upholstery clean? I have not thought that through. Nope. nope. <laughs> I'll come up with a better one later. <laughs> I'll put it on Instagram. <laughs> let's come up with a j- okay. People listening, let's come up with a jingle for George Mayer's upholstery cleaning business. Jingles, send them in. Anyway, he needed $25 to get going and he comes in contact with Herman Petrillo and he asked him for a loan. Herman said, why take the $25 when you could earn $600 cash or $2,500 in some of my counterfeit notes by doing a little job for me? Is he going to clean someone to death? (laughs) going to scrub you so hard. I mean, you could have just gone down the cleaner route there, Nick. I didn't think of that. Professional killer. I want you to clean someone to death. Do you want me to shoot them? No, I want you to sponge them. Lovely. No one would ever suspect. (laughs) Died by sponging. (laughs) Yes, Herman wanted Mayer to kill a man called 
Ferdinando Alfonsi, upon whom Herman had taken out a rather large insurance premium. So, Maya goes, um, okay, well, what would I have to do? And Herman says, well, you need to go to his house. You need to hit him over the head with a lead pipe. Then take him up the stairs. Then throw him down the stairs. So it looks like an accident. And then leave him in the ballroom. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure Colonel Mustard has been called. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was the old whack someone over the head. Make sure they're dead. Drag him up the stairs. Then fling him down the stairs for additional injuries. Uh, and make it look like an accident sort of thing. But he would have cleaned up well after himself. No, no. He would have cleaned the upholstery. Like the floors he would have been screwed on. <laughs> Man has a marble staircase for no reason. <laughs> in the Great Depression. <laughs> but Mayor is a little cagey on this. He didn't really want to do anything to do with the crime he, he doesn't want to kill anyone that's why he needs the money but he decides to go to the authorities to see whether Good. or not they would be interested in some information in exchange for some uh, mula. now he goes at first to the philadelphia police and they don't help him at all they dismiss him as deluded <laughs> okay are we dealing with people turning a blind eye well corruption like true that's an intriguing thought, because it does seem like a crazy thing to go, I no, you're talking rubbish. Ooh. When someone comes in and says, I, this man has just offered me $2,500 worth of counterfeit money in order <laughs> to kill someone. Um, and they go, now nah, you're talking nonsense. Well, either way, they turn him down, but Mayor is not dissuaded. He managed to contact the Secret Service. They have a base in, um, well, they have agents in Philadelphia. And he gets in contact with an agent called Land Voigt. Agent what? Land Voigt. Uh, this is actually, I mean, should say, this is a false name because he's undercover. What? He's an undercover agent, but he gets put in contact with him. Now, Langate, uh, Langate, that's not even that guy. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Bob. Okay, so Agent Bob is already investigating Herman. He's been watching him for years. Apparently, the feds have been watching him because of the counterfeit money ring. That's what they want to get him on and all the fraud. Uh, the death side of things, again, apparently has slipped their attention. <laughs> but Mayer works with the district attorney's office they work with the agents they set up a sting operation and Mayer plays along and says okay I'll go back he's accompanied by other undercover agents to try and get Herman so they have a series of meetings with Herman and they're negotiating okay well how do you want um, Alfonsi to be killed and they have it seems to be quite a back and forth about how a man should die that again they want him to be hit by a car and run over repeatedly so it looks like an accident but they need a car for that run over repeatedly look like an accident but they just say a car accident will do it but they need a car for that so Mayor and the feds are trying to say well, well could we have some money could you give us some money so we can go and buy a car so he will hand over the counterfeit notes? Uh, Herman is like, just steal one. We're, we're criminals. Why are we buying true. a car? Uh, fair point. And they're like, no, we don't really want to steal a car, really. For no reason whatsoever. And this just goes back and forth. The boys are still talking about, like, well, we'd actually still like to get some of your counterfeit money. Even if we don't do the hit, we're, we're really interested in, in buying some counterfeit money off you. The feds are so focused on the counterfeit money, they sort of kind of, Get about the guy who's supposed to die, Alfonsi. And then Herman breaks contact with them for a couple of weeks and they don't really hear back from them. And the feds decide, well, we should probably go and check on the on the victim, the proposed victim. And posing as insurance agents, huh, the irony. The feds visit Alfonsi's home and they find him being looked after his wife and he is unable to speak with bulging eyes and he's immobile. Oh dear. At the next meeting with Herman, Herman brings along the counterfeit money 
the long for envelope is handed over they have their evidence and they casually ask oh, did you still want us to uh, to do the hit on <laughs> Alphonse how's he doing and Herman smiles and says it's been taken care of and he adds the guy must have had nine lives because we gave him enough arsenic to kill six men <laughs> Nice. Alfonsi <laughs> later died in the National Stomach Hospital from heavy metal poisoning. But this is the murder that brings down the entire ring. The feds the have their evidence. They have enough to bring him in, but now they can start pinning the murders on him. And they arrest Herman Petrillo on the 27th of September, 1938. They also arrest Stella Alfonsi, the wife of the victim, because you see, she had purchased a huge number of insurance policies on her husband. <laughs> several thousand, in fact. Well, several, in fact. Yeah, how much do you think they're worth? Probably a good, what, 10, 15 grand or so? $150,000. Ooh, that's a, well, a lot of love potions for She'd that. She'd taken out multiple insurance policies and her husband had signed them because he couldn't read. Uh... He had signed most of them with a big shaky X. And she uh, had told him God. either that they were normal paperwork or that yeah. she had applied for life insurance and they'd been rejected. So he kept making applications. In a couple of cases, there were some very poorly forged signatures probably by Petrillo's by the Petrillo brothers how many can you poorly forge an X <laughs> <laughs> well maybe they didn't know it was an X they probably signed his name and everyone's like well we've never seen it before <laughs> that's, that's, it's a lovely very great cursive script of <laughs> an X he wrote an O this time why <laughs> so yeah that was the problem with a lot of the insurance policies a lot of the people whose lives were insured by these brothers they couldn't read they couldn't see what they were signing or their wives or they had to trust their family members to send off paperwork and anything really could be signed it could be with a big shaky x but the feds are now able to close in and build up all their evidence against herman the feds also have interestingly a testimony apparently from herman's nephew john cacopardo serving time in sing sing prison in new york great prison Jolly place. Jolly place. Uh, for murdering his girlfriend. I claim he uh, he claims that Herman had framed him for the murder of his girlfriend because John refused to join the poison ring. Refused to oh, join in the gang. Crazy. But he knew so much about it that he made sure he was framed for murder. Rather than kill him, maybe it's Italian honour, but he sent him to jail instead. So they have his testimony. And then the arrests start to mount up. They arrest Herman, they arrest Paul. Louis the rabbi and 23 other members of the ring are all arrested, <laughs> including the women, including the spiritualist witches. They also start exhuming corpses to perform autopsies. The feds and the, dis the assistant district attorney who's taken the case are worried that Herman isn't going to say anything. They've spent so long trying to chase this guy. You know, he's going to be tough to a crack under investigation. Oh, no. Oh, he says everything. But he says it's <laughs> Paul's idea. Oh, it was Paul who did it. Oh, he gives them a list of victims of all the people who are involved, all the people who were killed with arsenic. Everything that happened, but he insists it wasn't him. It was all Paul's doing. It was all Bulba's doing. Everyone else apart from him. In this trial, anyone who's arrested basically admits something was going on and goes, it was him. It was him. No, it was her. It was him. It was her. It was him and her together at some point, but it wasn't me. They're all doing it in attempt to commute their sentence yeah. because what happens in the 1930s you could be sent to the electric chair so louis the rabbi one of the first guys we'll deal with he tries to flee but instead when he's caught he decides to turn state witness in exchange for a life sentence he agrees to give evidence to give evidence in court to tell them everything he receives a life sentence 
and will die died uh, of natural causes 13 years later in jail. Karina Fevato dubbed the, the Philadelphia witch by the press. The woman who came along nice. to set up the marriage consultant. Uh, the marriage consultant. <laughs> she is brought to trial, again denying her crimes, but she shocks the courtroom in something that is printed across all of the newspapers by admitting halfway through, saying, I might as well get this over with. Let them send me to the chair. What have I got to live for? And changes her Ooh. plea and admits to the three counts of murder that she is charged with. She receives a life sentence. While in custody, she did try to kill herself at one point by jabbing her arteries with a safety pin. And she reportedly told the jailers when she was imprisoned, there was no point locking her cell door because the witches were coming to kill her. Oh, they don't, yeah. <laughs> they those old witches get through those doors. But then we come to Herman's trial in 1939. Herman is denying all charges against him. Mm. He refuses to admit to them. And the prosecution against him is devastating. The list of witnesses and the testimonies they have it just, just absolutely piles up. Jury takes them a couple of hours to deliver the verdict. When the foreman of the jury, a woman, stands up and delivers their verdict of guilty and the recommendation for the death penalty, Herman reportedly snarled, you lousy bitch, and hurled himself at her across the <laughs> courtroom but was luckily restrained by the guards how dramatic in this case the judge actually commended the jury for their verdict saying see see what a horrible man he is he was <laughs> sentenced him to die in the electric chair herman's own lawyer stood up in court after the sentence was passed and apologized for defending <laughs> him saying he would never have done it if he had known he was such scum. God. <laughs> <laughs> That's the detail of Herman's trial. Paul Petrillo's trial didn't find many writings on it, but it pretty much cut and dried, and he too was sentenced to the electric chair. Up to 13 other members of the ring were tried or pled guilty to murder. Some say it was as many as 22 members. There were 30 who were tried in total and received life sentences. But only one woman got off. Rosa Carina the Rose of Death, who was found not guilty at the trial. But with Herman and Paul sizzling in the electric chair, there ended the Philadelphia poisoning ring. That's a good story. Yay! I like that story. I've never, I've never <laughs> heard of any of that before. That's brilliant. It is. It's, it's kind of crazy. Again, sometimes when you do this research, you kind of think, have I just been blind? Have I been ignorant? And is this a massive story that loads of people have been talking about for years? But it seems strange that neither of us had ever heard no, of this one. Not at all. And it's great. It's got everything. It's got, you know, it's got murder, yeah. it's got violent death, it's got a crime syndicate, it's got black magic, it's got all <laughs> of these things. As ever, you can find, I'm sure there's, there's books that are written about it that I haven't been able to access at this time. But they're very varied, the reports, and it mm. does feel a lot of folklore. I do think that's it's interesting. If you, you see, for such a... I imagine in the, in the papers and things at the time, it would have been such a huge thing. This is just one where it felt like there was a lot of conjecture. I, there was a little bit of me that I saw little hints in some of the reports that there was a general fear about bad juju with this case. Mm. That it involved... People thought it involved a cult... It involved witches and it involved them, you know, whether, you know, actual, you know, we're not talking like cauldrons in the middle of Stonehenge or stuff like that, that kind of level, but talking about hexes and curses and, and potions and however much you believe in it. It's a very Catholic community, but there are bits of folklore and legend sort of embedded in that, that people just didn't want to, didn't want to get involved or didn't want to talk about it too much. Yeah. Because well, there would have also... still been witches operating. I think those so those those communities would have been incredibly close knit tight and probably wouldn't have talked about it openly. You're talking about people in your community killing their husbands and yeah. 
so the neighbor isn't going to and also that yeah you're you're going to you're going to a witch yeah there was one there was one um these are just tiny snippets and paragraphs in different reports but about one man visiting the poisoning ring and he went to see a woman one of the women in the poison ring and he was led to a basement that was lined with candles and skulls i'll do it but again i couldn't find reports of that anywhere else so that could just be there was one skull and a candle and turned into there's a million in there. Yeah, there, there, there was an altar with sacrifices going on in the corner and things. Or the, sorry, the less factual information people can get, the more a myth grows up around it. People fill in mm. the gaps themselves. Yeah. If they don't have hard facts to say, OK, it was 30 people that died, blah, blah, blah. If that number isn't known, then it goes, oh, it's 30. Oh, but someone told me once it was 40. And then it, because there's no hard evidence, it gets embellished and and how much of that time are you dealing with you know the start of organized crime and kind of corruption as well where people just aren't gonna talk they're not gonna say things because otherwise horrible things will happen to you you know but but then we have these cases as we've covered in uh in previous episodes and we'll do again where you have serial killer you don't know about the serial killer until they're on trial people well, they never true. knew yeah. they never knew all these deaths yeah. happened no one suspected god this this is what we know they did but if they don't tell you every single thing or if they're just or if they're just spinning a yarn so they can get a life sentence rather than go to the, the electric chair how can you believe anything they say but you know yeah. the philadelphia poisoning ring good tale good story a tale from america and a very modernish one modernish modernish but we challenge you delve into history find a story that you love find a poison that you love send those to us and talk to us about it if there's a modern case that's close to your heart and you've got a justification maybe want to make a case for it by all means let us know as ever thank you for listening to us at the poisonous cabinet and please do leave lovely comments and uh, leave us a review on itunes or castbox or any of the myriad places that you get your lovely podcasts please do send us drop us a line we're on instagram and facebook and twitter do come and join us on the lovely social media things and do keep sharing your cocktail pictures if you've been sharing yes. them this week we love it i love we love to see them we love to see new recipes uh, get involved share them wherever you love to do your social media and join us as ever on friday is the day that this uh, podcast comes out join us for the cocktail of the week raise a glass the uh recipe is always revealed on social media in the evening so you can get mixing relax with a cocktail and your favorite podcast and put on a frock even if you're a boy <laughs> do your hair and, and just scream into a pillow <laughs> it's getting it's getting weird now it's getting weird <laughs> so stay safe everyone stay alert whatever the hell that means stay wonderful stay fresh and funky tell your friends about the show share it make sure you're sharing other podcasts that you love it's a good time to share the love for whoever you can right now independent small businesses as well keep sharing the love for them nick do you want to shout out to a, a small business oh the cheese shop in canterbury we love you. <laughs> we love you cheese shop thank you for always bringing me cheese i'm gonna shout out to uh, i will shout out as ever to our local pub the unicorn in st dunstan's in canterbury uh they are looking after the locals they're doing great beer deliveries they're taking care of people they're also a ups drop-off point so they're giving making sure essential medical supplies do go to um people in their homes so thank you so much to the gang down there so as ever we have been the people inside the poisoner's cabinet drinking mercilessly drinking 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 we're loved up and we will see you next week and remember your loved ones are trying to kill you Marvelous.